Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Hello, my name is Christy Anderson with Bible Interact and For It Is Written Ministries. To get information about this and other teachings, go to ForItIsWritten.com. Again, that's ForItIsWritten.com. Today we are in part two of a six-part series on the message of Galatians from an ancient Hebraic perspective. In part one, we had covered the historic Jewish view of salvation. We were laying a groundwork for some of the history and, and context in which Paul was writing the letter of Galatians. Now as we move into session two, we are going to look at the laws of separation or association because these um, ideas of separating between Jew and Gentile were were having a considerable impact, negative impact, and frustrating the ability of Paul and others to take that good news to the nations and and allow that Abrahamic covenant, that part that was going to go to the nations, to expand. And um, and if if Jew and Gentile uh, within the believing community cannot associate, now we're going to have some issues. Or if there's prejudices and other things, we're going to have problems in getting that message out. So Paul was really dealing with um, some major doctrinal issues, but also just practical issues at that time. And part of the laws of separation we're going to see impacted his ability to get that message out and was part of that background to our going in and understanding the letter of Galatians. So in, in session three, we'll start digging into the actual text of Galatians, but here we're still setting that historic backdrop. So as we turn to Leviticus 20, starting in verse 25, we'll see one of the uh, one of several verses that um, give us an idea about where these laws of separation came from and how they mutated into the issues that Paul was dealing with at his time. And it states in Leviticus 20, starting in verse 25, You are therefore to make distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, between the unclean bird and the clean, and you shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Uh, Continuing also in verse 26, it says, Thus you are to be holy, i.e. set apart to me, for I the Lord am holy and have set you apart From the peoples to be mine. So God's people here are to be set apart. Um, And this follows directly, as we saw, this command regarding clean and unclean animals and making distinction. So there's this idea of needing to make distinction between clean and unclean with regard to animals. In this case, um, we know the context is what we eat, but the problem developed. And the biblical idea got twisted where Gentiles were considered unclean in the sense of like Gentiles are like pigs and Jews are like sheep. They're clean and the Gentiles are are unclean. And so is this idea valid? Are people to be considered unclean like pigs? Is Is that biblical? Well, in a certain respect, we might say that there is some some truth to that in a certain sense. And I'll tell you why. An unsaved person today, we, many people consider, even within greater Christendom, 
uh, consider if you're unsaved, you're to, in some respects unclean because we understand that people who are saved or people we'd consider saved are washed by the blood of Messiah. They're cleansed. They're made clean. So it's not completely foreign to consider people unclean or clean in the sense um, that in a similar sense to how we consider certain animals from Leviticus 11 and, and Deuteronomy 14 as clean or unclean. Jews in Paul's day had a similar idea, but the problem was that sometime, or that over time there became unbiblical criteria for determining who was clean and who was unclean. Uh, rather than it being based on um, faith, it was and, and the faith of Abraham and such as a Ruth, um, all Gentiles based on ethnicity were considered unclean, and all Jews just because they were. Uh, had the grace to, God had graced them to be born Jews, were considered clean. Uh, so as we look, though, at the laws of separation, what were these laws? Well, they were traditions that said, for instance, that uh, Jews are not to eat with Gentiles. They're not to enter their homes. Um, and so we see from this, if we understand the Eastern view in the background with uh, that eating a meal in someone's home and, and with them, there was a perception of a covenant act when you did that, when you crossed their threshold, when you ate a meal with them. Um, it was it was much different than it is today, and it was viewed differently. So we have to take that into consideration when we're looking at some of these laws of separation at that time. Now, these laws of separation also, as, as Peter informs us as well in Acts 10, um, there was a view that Gentiles themselves were unclean and could cause uncleanness. So the problem Paul faced was that Jews believed that they were clean by virtue of being Jews and that they believed all Gentiles were unclean because they were simply Gentiles. Adding fuel to the fire of these laws of separation were verses like uh, we see in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4. It says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land and clears away many nations before you, Seven nations greater and stronger than you. And it goes on a little farther down the way. You shall utterly destroy them. You shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. So now we understand when we look at this passage in Deuteronomy 7 that the Lord was trying to stop the people from falling into sin. The commandment, though, was not based on, on simple ethnicity. It was based on a concern for the hearts of the people. And it was the idea was you're not to marry a pagan. You're not to marry someone who's going to draw your heart into worshiping other gods. So for in the example of Ruth, uh, there was nothing wrong. Uh, Boaz wasn't breaking the commandment here that God had given when he married Ruth, because she had left her people like Abraham. She had, your God is my God. So it's a very different situation. And uh, that was not being considered um, in these laws of separation uh, in Paul's day. So rather than addressing the real issue of and the nature of man's uncleanness, Judaism had assigned uncleanness to Gentiles alone, believing that, and these were the, the basic tenets of the law, is that Jews are unclean. I'm sorry, Jews are clean. My bad. Jews are clean and Gentiles are unclean. Jews are not to associate with Gentiles and Jews are not to eat with Gentiles. Gentiles can pass on uncleanness like the contamination from a dead body. 
in the same in that same sense. So those were the basic tenets of the background. And we saw in the Babylonian Talmud that it's has several mention uh, several it mentioned several times this idea of Gentiles as unclean. In the first case it says, haven't we learned in the Mishnah dwelling places of the Gentiles in the land of Israel are unclean? So their houses are unclean. Um, and so obviously you wouldn't want to enter in house because their house because then it could contaminate you. Um, another place it says in the Babylonian Talmud, well then, why not put it in a chest, box or cupboard, and carry it in that? And these protect what is in them from uncleanness, such as passage through Gentile territory would impart. That's the, the point I want to focus on here in this little quote. It's kind of, uh, we're jumping into a context where they're discussing um, how to protect some item from getting unclean just because you're passing through Gentile territory. Um, and in our final example, they discuss, uh, and I, I won't read the whole quote at this point uh, to save time, but they basically ask, as to the heir, did the sages make their decree of uncleanness? And so they discuss, well, was it just the soil if you touched it, or was it actually just breathing it even could be um, make you unclean? And so you can see how this extreme view could really impact Paul's ability to bring the good news to the nations. And... Um, you know, just, just how that could twist the real good news and, and this whole idea of circumcision, which we'll get into in later sessions. Now, the reality is Gentiles are unclean, but Jews are equally considered unclean without Messiah. So we have to understand also that there are two types of unclean that are used or two words in the Greek and, uh, Peter even uses in his vision, the time of his vision, both terms. And so we need to understand the distinction between these because it can have a real impact on how you interpret certain uh, term in the English of unclean or clean uh, based on these terms. So in the first, the first word for unclean is in the sense of common. It's the opposite of being set apart or holy. It's also could be used for ritual defilement, defilement. So something that is inherently clean but could be defiled um, so this is the koinos or the strong's g2839 and the second term also used for unclean is an unclean as declared by god or by a priest of god and so that's an unclean person or an unclean animal as declared by god or or as i said a priest of god and so this term is akathartos or strong's g169 and we see it, as I said, brought up in Acts ten eleven and following, where Peter says, uh, "By no means, Lord, have I, or for I have never eaten anything unholy, that koinos, that common, or or and unclean, akathartos, that unclean is declared by God. So, uh, something common or uh, that was maybe it was contaminated, since he's talking about food in this context, or something." unclean is declared by God like a pig. Again, a voice came to him a second time, what God has cleansed. And that there, that term answers to the declared by God, the akathartos, it's the katharizo. And you see the kathar in the middle of both of those root, uh, the root term um, that connects the clean and unclean there. So what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy or common, Koino, 
and that answers also is just different conjugation there from the koinos, the koino. You can hear the sounds. It's the same, or it's a similar Greek word. Uh, the koinos would be G uh, Strong's G twenty eight thirty nine, where this koino is just Strong's G twenty eight forty. Same root, um, same same concept. Uh, so in this sense, he's saying, do not call what God has declared clean. No longer consider it unholy, not set apart to me. So in other words, God has said, don't consider what I have declared clean to be not set apart to me, is how we would interpret both of those terms. And it's important to understand that because that changes uh, and that really highlights the way that Peter later interprets his own vision uh, that often gets overlooked because you know, some, some in Christianity use that as, oh yeah, I can go have whatever I want to eat. Well, that has nothing to do with the context of what Peter's vision was at all, uh, or related to our context here with Paul. So as we continue on, uh, we're going to look at the fact that Paul confirmed a different law of separation that was in play. And that law of separation that is based on Deuteronomy 7 and Leviticus 20 that we had read is a separation based on faith, not ethnicity. And so we have to properly interpret those laws of separation in Deuteronomy 7 and Leviticus 20, and he will do so in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, 7 through 1 and elsewhere. And he will say in 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate, separate from them, i.e. from unbelievers, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, that akathartos, that unclean is declared by God. So he has, in, Paul here has interpreted how that separation is properly to be applied. It's a separation from unbelievers, according to Deuteronomy 7, and a separation or a not touching of anything unclean, according to Leviticus 11. So he has properly interpreted the text. Um, he continues, uh, let's see, I think we're picking up uh, in past, let's see, verse right at the end of 17 into 18. Then I will welcome you, he says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of both body, he says, of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So in both, as he's interpreted both Deuteronomy 7 and Leviticus 11, he's saying you are to separate in the spiritual sense from unbelievers in the physical, physically from them, but um, the, the spiritual, how you're defining clean and unclean between people, and you're not to touch anything unclean according to like Leviticus 11 and how that in the body sense. So body and spirit, both senses, he is applying it. And as we continue, we see that, uh, you know, some of the apostles actually shared the Jewish prejudices toward Gentiles. So lest you believe that these prejudices were merely coming from non-believing Jews, early on, some apostles shared these same prejudices, and the Lord himself had to intervene. And so here we get again in Acts 10.20, the Lord corrects Peter concerning Jewish and Gentile uncleanness. 
He taught him that not all Gentiles are unclean. Those whom God himself has declared clean, Peter was no longer to consider unclean. But he says in uh, verse 20, get up, go downstairs and accompany them, the men that he had sent that were Gentiles without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So Cornelius, we know in the text is, is particular to share with us uh, that it says Cornelius was a righteous Gentile. He and all his household. So these were no ordinary Gentiles. Um, he says, you yourselves know how unlawful, or Peter says, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner to visit him. And so we see Peter um, highlight this prejudice that God is directly dealing with because it's going to frustrate the ability of he and the other apostles to actually bring the message of salvation to the nations. And so these laws, these Jewish laws of association or disassociation, I should say, were based falsely on ethnicity and not on faith. And this is how the Lord is uh, correcting these things. And, and Paul then highlighting also the proper way to interpret these things um, according to faith. As we continue in Acts 10, 28 through 29, uh, Peter further highlights and he explains the vision himself. And he says, and yet God has shown me, I, uh, me being Peter in his vision, that I should not call any man common, that koinos, or unclean, akathartos, as declared by God. That is, that is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for, he says. So he explains and interprets the vision, which has to do with people. It has nothing to do with food. So interpretation of the vision, again, as we said, has nothing to do with food. Rather, he was to stop calling and considering Gentiles whom God had redeemed, both common or unholy, not set apart to God, and unclean or unacceptable to God. He was not to call them either one. So as we look at Peter's vision, we see that God corrects the false tradition of the elders that had developed with this regard of, of um, separation between Jew and Gentile that specifically caused division among God's people and would frustrate that propagation of the good news. So God used something Peter understood, the concept of clean and unclean with regard to animals in the vision. And in the vision, the symbols the clean animals represented the Jews. That was part of these pl God's playing into the prejudice of that time to unwind the prejudice. So he used clean and unclean animals, Jews being the, represented as the clean animals and Gentiles represented in, in Peter's mind as the unclean animals. And he tied the context into specific instructions to visit a God-fearing Gentile. So he's mixing Jew, the clean, with the Gentile unclean in the vision as represented uh, in the clean and unclean animals in the sheet in order to correct the false doctrine of separation between Jews and Gentiles that was going to prevent the propagation of the good news to all nations. So further examples of this can be seen also with those of the circumcision uh, that we see that confront Peter after his visit to Cornelius in Acts 11. And uh, we also see two other examples, Paul's public rebuke of Peter in Galatians 2 and the priests who are arresting Yeshua in John 18. Uh, if we look at the first one in Acts 11, 2 through 3, it says that they, and this is referring to some of those of the circumcision, 
took issue with Peter, with him, Peter, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, they exclaim. And so this time God, you know, Peter uses the, this first excuse when Peter first has this issue, he basically says, hey, look, guys, God made me do it. So he kind of uses God as an excuse. Hey, God forced me to do it. I had a vision. I had no choice. He told me to go. So they can, you know, he can get that, use that excuse. But in the second time, when, when Paul has to actually rebuke him, Paul, Peter doesn't have the same excuse. So in Galatians 2, 11, 13, we see it says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the non-Jewish believers. But when they, the Jews from James, came, he drew, drew back and separated himself, fearing those of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So, you know, Peter used the excuse the first time that God made me do it, but Paul is not going to let him get away with that again. Um, and, and he's because he's dragging everyone with him and the implications are just too great. Um, so he has to publicly rebuke him. And then finally, we see a third example in uh, John 18 through 20, uh, 28, verse 28. It says, Then they led Yeshua from Caiaphas into the praetorium or the governor's official residence. And it was early and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. And so here, John, you know, it does teach, the Torah does teach that a ritually unclean person cannot partake of the Passover lamb. But the Torah does not teach that entering a Gentile residence can cause ritual un, un, uh, uncleanness just by simply in, going into anyone. Like if he went into Cornelius's, that does not mean house Peter did. It doesn't mean that he couldn't eat the Passover, for example. Um, so John is not uh, justifying this, he's just giving you the reason that, that they had for not going in. Now, if you remember in session one, that faulty Jewish view of salvation said that salvation was a matter of God's grace, but it was given to God's people alone, the literal seed of Abraham only, and they believed that um, regarding non-Jews, you could they could become the seed of Abraham, but they had to via um, circumcision and baptism. Otherwise, they were not to be associated with, according to these laws of separation that we've been looking at. Now, keeping a commandment, of course, circumcision, an act or work of the flesh, cannot make one the seed of Abraham. To be the true seed of Abraham, we have to understand Paul is teaching here in Galatians, one must have the seed of Abraham, the promised seed Messiah. And so that's going to be his central focus throughout the, uh, the, the letter to the Galatians. Um, a work of law, i.e. circumcision in the context of Paul's writing, or any act of obedience for that matter, cannot and does not, does not make one Jewish. It cannot change your status, nor can uh, Jewish status alone save. And so that's going to be his central message based on some of this understanding. So only those God will choose, whether the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, or some from the nations, are going to be the true seed of Abraham. You're going to know them, Paul says, by their fruit, uh, because the fruit is what's going to show you who they are. And so the fundamental fault of Christianity today sometimes says that uh, accuses believers of uh, who keep 
the appointed times or Sabbath or, you know, the food laws or whatever of trying to become Jewish. But it, again, keeping commandments such as these only renders a, a Gentile obedient to those commandments. It does not make you Jewish. Um, and it can't. And, and, and even if you keep those, it's not going to save you. But it makes you obedient to those commandments. So again, as we wrap up here, we're running out of time. We're going to understand that the heart of the debate is this catalyst of justification. Who, who is justified uh, before God? And it's going to be based on God's grace to the physical seed of Abraham, not just to the physical seed of Abraham alone, but to all of those who will call on the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's going to be based on uh, faith, faith alone. And so it's by grace you have been saved through faith, Messiah's faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast.